Hey everybody, it's your old friend John DeLuna with an all new RC minicast. This one is uh, posting around in, a, in and around BotCon, probably before BotCon, right before BotCon. Joining me is the ubiquitous, ever knowing, all powerful Brian Kilby. Brian Kilby, how are you, sir? Hey, John. Not bad. This is the first time I've been on the minicast. I'm excited. Yeah, boss. Can you believe it? It's amazing. It is amazing. You know what's not amazing? The value of your collection and my collection and (laughs) everybody's collection who's listening. You know, like completely unrelated to this, I was having this conversation again with uh, a friend of mine, and I was trying to explain how another friend's collection, when he passes, is going to be it's basically um this isn't that conversation but it's kind of it's kind of like quarters his house is so full of stuff hmm. and none of that stuff is really worth anything no it is not well not what he thinks i guess we're not what, what what might be perceived that's for sure so before we go any further brian and i are going to dive in during this mini cast into what's it worth anyway and the what is transformers because if you're like us, chances are you are to some degree. If you're listening to a Transformers podcast, you have a sizable Transformers collection. If you think that is your nest egg or your retirement fund, think again, my friend. Think yeah. again. Um, this is a topic that we've kind of bounced around here and there before shows and after shows and with friends and offline and such because, Brian, I think at our, our ripe old ages – that starts to become kind of a thing, not only because of like the physical space that your collections start to kind of take up, but also liquidating the collection starts to make some practical sense. Don't you agree? Uh, yeah, mostly, mostly in my case for space. I mean, I don't have a super small home, but I don't have a, you know, extravagantly large home either. So like I'm, I'm really running out of room. I was in that spot actually right at the end of the Unicron trilogy because I was still I was still living in an apartment at that time, and I was basically well, I was renting a storage closet in addition to my apartment in the complex, and that storage closet was filled with Unicron trilogy. So I was paying rent basically to to store that collection, and, and I came to the decision to sell that trilogy of toys, which is a, a massive amount of toys over the course of three and a half years or so, and I got rid of it on eBay over the course of. I think a summer. It took me several months to do that. Um, that was a space motivated sell off. When it comes to you now, you're you're further along. You're kind of you know you're settled. You're an established guy, and now you have space considerations. Um, do you have a methodology on like how you're gonna like deal with this? Have you have you given it some serious thought? I mean, I think I I've said before. One thing I want to do is. Uh, pick one or two hundred. One or two hundred. It seems like a a large number, but it's really not. Uh, a couple hundred items that I really want to keep. Something that means something to me, or like an actual collection that's really curated, and you know is cohesive, and uh, you know, and then basically chuck the rest. I mean, like some of the stuff. I mean, like I could literally donate to Goodwill. I have donated a lot of. I've donated mint and sealed box toys to Goodwill because sometimes it's just really not worth the effort to sell it. Yeah, for sure. I'm like that with uh, with modern toys. So it's not uncommon now, especially these days, to buy a case of toys and three out of the four you're keeping, and there's always like one spare, or there could be like one spare where you're not really in love with it. If it's mint and sealed, and it's a it's a contemporary toy right now. I don't even like give a thought to keeping it for appreciation. 
It's not an investment in any way. There's no, uh, maybe I might be wrong, but it's so easy to get uh, Transformers these days. They're so accessible. I can't imagine the current contemporary toys, anything in the modern era, past like classics, like anything since 2000, I don't know, 10 or so. I can't imagine almost any of it seriously appreciating value. So I'm like you, like I'll save it and give it to a kid that's a friend of the family or I'll save it and throw it in a Toys for Tots bin at the end yeah. of the year. I mean, but you know, the thing is really when it boils down to it, it, the value of something is always going to be supply and demand. So if there's something after 2010, that, you know, it doesn't have a lot of supply and, you know, uh, demand outstrips supply, it'll be worth something. Uh, but the thing is, supply or demand isn't always constant. So because there's demand for something now doesn't mean that there's demand for it years later. Uh, for example, I was talking to a friend today, and he told me how much he got that um, Rumble and Fr- uh, United Rumble and Frenzy set. Ah, uh, yes. And I was, like, shocked at how little he paid for it. What do you pay, like, 50 bucks, 60 bucks? Less. Wow. I paid 60 bucks for it when it was new. Yeah, and like that was hard to come by, and it was going up to like a hundred bucks mm-hmm. because people were wanting to buy it, and he he got he got it for like forty or forty five dollars. I wonder what like that. So that's a good case of like something kind of rising and falling in a short amount of time. And I think we'll get to in a second the the big mama or the big gorilla kind of in the room, which is G one collection pieces. Um, so on something like that. If you were like amassing a classics collection and you had a big uh, classics display, those were like the only game in town if you wanted Rumble and Frenzy. Not long after that, though, there was like War for Cybertron discs and uh, probably, you know, a third party thing here or there or just kind of variations on Neo. Well, they're the masterpiece ones. Now. Yeah, the ma- the masterpiece ones is, is, is th- those are the ones that really count for me. Yeah, and I think they count for a lot of people. And uh, we, we've also kind of talked about this before you and I about kind of like quote unquote terminal pieces, like, like a piece or a representation of a character that once you have it, you have no appetite to continue like collecting that character. Like this is it. This is, this is the, the ultimate representation of that character. I bet like masterpiece Soundwave and all his cassettes for a lot of people is exactly that. You know, like masterpiece Soundwave for me is almost that my problem with masterpiece Soundwave is kind of silly but it's true. It's a little too big. Oh, really? Like the scale is a thing for you? Like, I don't know. I don't know why, but there's something about that original Soundwave figure that just still clicks for me. And for it, for my money, it, it, the original Soundwave that uh, came out in 84, still my favorite Soundwave. Wow. That's interesting. Well, it's not like he has like a whole ton of competition prior to the masterpiece toy he's surprisingly kind of underrepresented in being reinvented and reintroduced and there's not a lot you can do with it he's a box he's a box yes and he's a he's one of those things that he's kind of caught in he's caught in um a previous time or a previous era because he turns into a box that had meaning to people who were like 30 years and older and the thing is that's one of the few toys that really kind of could be a robot in disguise because somebody really might be fooled into thinking that that was a real working tape deck. I'm not like hugely into masterpiece Soundwave, kind of for the same reasons. My 
I guess my current, the one I have like on display right now is the Fall of Cybertron or War for Cybertron Soundwave, whichever he was. He kind of, he, uh, he kind of sort of fits into classic displays. Oh yes. Um, I guess the, the bigger one. That's Fall. Fall. So the big guy, um, because he works a little bit better now that you have a giant Blitzwing and Voyager Megatron is biggish. The, the little deluxe Soundwave, cute, but kind of like you and Masterpiece, the scale just doesn't jive for me. So yeah. I, I can't accept him. I can't display him. Um, so let's talk about the rise and fall of values. Specifically, let's kind of touch on G1, because I think when you and I met, which was probably in the late not, mid to late 90s. Mid to late 90s, yeah. That was probably like the heyday, or, or we were getting to the point of the, the peak of G1 values. So the peak of G1 values, I think, is is really more recent in, because of CG, uh, what, a- AFA. But ignoring that, I really think the late 90s when college kids who had a little bit of disposable income uh, found the internet and had the ability to buy things on eBay, prices were crazy. Uh, I mean, they were insane. Um, it's just I, – I, I remember paying – oh, gosh – 80 bucks for a beat up loose mirage i could probably get the same thing now for 15 dollars. oh for sure absolutely especially like uh anything well anything anything that's had like an encore or a reissue uh, like a g1 sideswipe you can get that for pennies on the dollar compared compared to that for sure and it's a brand new toy yeah and like gosh like uh popular characters i mean were even more uh and you know, like you said, uh, Encore, the, the reissues affected that because, again, uh, demand dropped because of additional supply. There are people who prefer the the official G1, but there's some, some those of us who just want it to be nice and tight. So I guess the one thing that, that always strikes me as interesting, you and I agree that the value or the price of those toys have dropped over the years, right? Absolutely. So there are no fewer of those toys other than reissues it's not like they've just sprung into existence from like nothingness but the thing is there was a limited supply of what was available online ah true because you know a lot of people weren't on the internet yet so the people that were on the internet and they had the stuff uh they had the stuff in storage for sale i mean they made money hand over fist but as the supply of toys you know sort of increased because more people were joining the internet now more people were also buying, but I think the the gold rush of selling your crappy old toys on eBay probably you know dried up that market somewhat. And it's not like that Optimus Prime that somebody paid you know like a loose Optimus Prime that somebody paid four hundred dollars for in nineteen ninety eight is you know any different than that same toy which might resell for eighty bucks you know in twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. It's just that at that one point there was more demand for it and people were willing to pay more money for it than they are today for like a multitude of reasons. I also think at least for me personally, the, 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 the thing that literally turned me off of collecting G1 was classics for me. Like I'm a very character based collector that that is where the, the magic for me is in a very short list of G1 toys, like the toys themselves, the actual G1 toys that kind of elicit some kind of nostalgic response from me is actually pretty short, but the characters are all like fond memories 
be it the comics or the cartoons, the characters are, are kind of what get me excited and get me remembering my childhood. So when all these characters were reinvented starting in 2007, and we still haven't stopped since 2007, when they all started getting reinvented in superior toys with, with modern technology, I was one of those collectors that I didn't need a G1 Prowl if I had a Classics Prowl. I didn't need to ever get my G1 Optimus Prime out again from storage once I had a Classics Prime. And like I say, we've been going on almost, well, we're going on the eighth year, the eighth year of more or less Neo G1. This is so, it's gone longer than G1. It's got more toys it's, than G1. So, so weird. It is. You could argue like this Classics thing, whatever it was, whatever it was when it started in 2007, it's become more or less like the foundation of Transformers toys because it's the one constant over the last eight years and it's turned into this monstrous thing. Well, for me, like I say, and for a lot of collectors, I'm sure that satisfied me. And I've gotten, it feels like I've gotten almost every major character, ABC level character from G1 represented in some form in the classics Henkei universe generations combiner wars line i mean we've gotten to the point where we're getting the impossible what would have seemed like impossible uh, something that was just not going to happen in 2007 and that is full-on g1 combiner teams being released as teams i mean it's ridiculous i mean it's awesome but it's ridiculous but you know like you're satisfied with that but there are people who still want that g1 toy absolutely who, who are finding the internet or just deciding that all of a sudden that they like transformers i mean a lot of times it's just an epiphany oh I like Transformers. I want to buy them. And there are people who won't be satisfied by anything other than that, you know, G1 toy. And, uh, you know, because of that, stuff that usually happens like when a new movie comes out or maybe a new toy line. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the biggest thing that really impacts that is, is a new movie because I think we all see like, you know, an influx of new fans. I see a bump in traffic to the podcast and to the website when a new movie's out. And, you know, certainly the the market for toys is impacted as well. But it all goes back to, you know, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And really, something's only worth what it's worth because somebody's willing to pay for it at that given time. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about our collections. What would you say is one kind of the overall piece count? Do you have any concept or any kind of estimation of like just how big no. your collection is? None? No, no idea. Too hard to count. I mean, it's, it's, it's more than a thousand, probably less than 2,500. Yeah. I think I'm probably in the same boat. Now, are there any pieces in particular that you do think in your collection? Okay. I can legit consider this like a high dollar item if I put it on the market. Um, no, not really. I mean, I probably have some stuff that would go f- go for a pretty penny, but like I don't I I so don't think about it in terms of that. Mm-hmm. It's like I cuz I don't really I don't really assign a monetary value to to most of this stuff. You can't. It's so hard to assign dollar amounts to it's almost like playing the stock market. And and I get if I do, I get disappointed. If I decide if I decide that I'm going to sell something, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll pick a, you know, like I can't really control what it goes for on eBay. There's certain things I can do to make it look better, better photos, uh better description. And I can sort of pick a goal that I want to hit, but I'm almost always disappointed by what it actually is. Yeah. And we, you know, we've, we've touched on, I mean, the theme, the theme of kind of our conversation here is kind of like, you know, what's it worth anyway? The idea being like, don't, 
don't get seduced by the idea that you, that your collection, just as a function of its size or its age, or the the fame kind of associated with some of the pieces that you have, the or the infamy, that doesn't automatically equate to to worth financial oh, worth. And again, and again, it's all ephemeral. So like. I was trying to uh, – so I was talking to my friend about the friend, the friend – one of the friends that we were talking about was Don. And Don has that Grand Max beside of his bed that he keeps and he, he um, keeps it covered to eliminate like UV damage. And how much would a, a, a Grand Max – a mitten box Grand Max go for now? I don't even know. No, I don't even know. Four figures. But so – but that's certainly more than a loose Optimus Prime would go for, right? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, many, okay. many times over. So 50 or 60 years from now? You have a Grand Max on one shelf mm-hmm. for fifty bucks or whatever price. You have an Optimus Prime on the on the other shelf for this for you know the same price. I'm willing to bet that somebody's probably more likely to buy Optimus Prime fifty or sixty years from now than Grand Max because they know who Optimus Prime is. That's a good way of looking at. It. So it's like that toy is worth something now because we know what it is and we know the, it's not really that rare, but. Uh, in North America, it's pretty rare. It, it, again, it all fluctuates. It all, it all varies depending on how much people want it. And there will come a point to where there aren't many people around who remembers like, you know, what – oh, gosh. I'm actually trying to think of like if somebody found an ATB Megatron, mm-hmm. like how many of those are there? Like five? Yeah, something like that. So like uh, maybe ATB Megatron's not not the best example because I think p- people will know who Megatron is. But compare that to like if it was an ATB Megatron or a G1 Megatron, 30, 40 years from now, average person's going to see it. They'll know who Megatron is. So, like, oh, I think the original one is a gun. That's the one I want. Right. And even even the ATB Megatron might be a good example. Like over the course of time, the the knowledge that that this is rare and sought after, that fades too. And people forget yeah, people forget and or quit caring. So yeah, occasionally somebody will get a hold of something like that, not know what it's worth, put it up on eBay, put a buy it now of a hundred bucks, and boom, gone. Because mm-hmm. not that specific toy, but you, you, we see stuff that is usually considered pricey, you know, disappear. It's not very often that we see something like that G2 Stunicon set, which was mm-hmm. owned by a former Kenner employee. I mean, that guy know, knew what he had, and he, he, you know, made a point to sell it for what it was worth. One thing I find really interesting, though, the, especially the Japanese stuff, uh, has uh, gone up in value. So back in the oh gosh, the late 90s, early 2000s, you could get like an Overlord. I, I paid like 300 bucks for a mitten sold box Overlord. I, I paid about the same for like a mitten sold box Star Convoy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the most part, you're, you're not going to get those toys for that that price anymore. And the reason is, and I thought this was really interesting. I never really thought about it before, but Proto-Man Pro- uh, Daniel Arsenault. How do you say Daniel's last name? Arsenault? I Arsenault? think that's right. That's That sounds right. Yeah, but uh, Proto-Man said, China. You have all these people in China who grew up watching uh, the Japanese G1 series in China, and um, they have some disposable income, and there are a lot of people, so demand for those toys have gone up. Like, there's no way I'm going to get a mitten sealed box overlord in 2015 for 300 bucks. Right. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get a, a Deathsaurus mitten sealed box for 300 bucks. It's part of the reason that I really wanted Dystopia so much was because, you know— I'm not going to get a mitten sealed box dystopia for 300 bucks, and yeah, not I mean a uh, Metro Titan. I'm not going to get a 300 dollars Metro Titan. So, really, when it boils down to it, uh, in that case, 
the G1 stuff has gone up. It has appreciated in value, but again, it's because of demand. And there's a special, you know, group of people who actually want that. And there's a actual, you know, cause and effect that's driving it. Just it's kind of it's just really interesting to me. That is really interesting. The international market's really something that you don't consider at first. You kind of have to think about it. But it's also one of those things where, like, again, given like an extended amount of time, another ten years, fifteen years, whatever it is. Basically, the international market's having the boom that we talked about uh, occurring in the late 90s. And there will be a bust. And yeah, yeah, exactly right. It's cyclical. Yes. You know, in some previous podcasts, this has kind of become the topic of the month, it feels like. And I feel like we should probably just kind of touch on it just real quickly to close out the podcast. When it comes to, you know, what is it worth anyway, um, the issue of who do you leave this stuff behind for and... How much do you tell them when it comes to like value when you're gone, or if it's even still there when you're gone? If you if you decide to take the initiative and sell this kind of stuff off gradually as you age, or you leave it as as like a treasure trove, or a or burden depending on on the family. Um, Brian, what is kind of your take on on that topic? Like like how like how are you going to leave this behind? Are you going to leave this behind? No, uh, I. I- I can't unless, unless unlike you know our, our friend JD Church who died last year you know it I, I die unexpectedly if I live to a reasonable old age I am going to get rid of the stuff because the max uh, the the max time frame or the optimal time frame for me to sell the stuff and make anything off it is like now. Do you see yourself kind of like really editing down your collection uh, significantly, greatly, and still having many years as a Transformers fan after that? I've done it. I mean, I've done it before. I, I trimmed down my. I, I've sold off like a good chunk of my collection in the past. It's just I've accumulated much more than I ever sold off. Uh, so, like, I had a good stretch of a year where I thinned down my collection probably by four or five hundred pieces, maybe. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, but I, I bought so much more than that. I mean, it's 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 yeah. I I I, I have done it. I, I need to do it again. I hear you. I'm kind of the same way. Like like I said earlier, that I had a big sell off, and it was it was a little bit kind of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like like yeah, I don't like think about it. It doesn't keep me up at night. Don't get me wrong. But if I had to do it over again, I probably would have plucked a few select Armada, Energon, and Cybertron pieces out to keep literally a handful of them. But uh, instead, I just sold them off all wholesale. That did free up a lot of space. And I'm like you. I think. I think what's going to happen with me is I'm going to sell off in chunks as I get older, and I'm definitely going to cherry pick some things where the reason I keep them isn't isn't primarily financial value. It's kind of like leaving them behind and just saying, hey, FYI, these pieces I found interesting or I was kind of particularly fond of. Obviously, you can do whatever you want with them when I'm gone, but... Uh, if you want something like, you know, your dad or your husband or, or your grandfather, if you want to keep something that you, you know was kind of, you know, close to his heart or kind of tickled him, interested in him, here are the two or three pieces that he kept his entire life. And I think that's I think that's a fair way to go about it. Maybe. Like stuff that I kept. So I, I lost uh, my three three immediate family members that I lived with over the course of 18 months and I had to clear out all their stuff uh, I, I mentioned this in a recent that recent uh, RFC extra and I mean most of their stuff their things they collected goodwill mm. and the stuff that I kept was stuff that they had on them like all the time like uh, I see like a watch or a ring or something like or, or a wallet 
uh, I'd never even considered keeping like the stuff that they collected. That stuff just uh, that got taken to Goodwill. Not their hobby stuff, that kind of thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Hey, if you are um, kind of considering liquidating, trimming down your collection, that kind of thing. Brian, do you have any kind of like tips for someone on on how they could maybe get the max value for their toys? Like like what are you when you look to kind of like turn some transformers into into cash for whatever reason? Like what are some of the tactics that you that you well, employ? Prioritize. I mean, whether you have to figure out whether you want to make money or whether it's a higher priority just to get rid of the stuff. Uh, if you want to get, if you want to make money, I would recommend uh, taking exceptional photos that are very well lit, and take lots of them and sell them on Facebook or on like uh, T-Fides, which is the uh, T-Formers classifieds, uh, classifies. I can't classified uh, website where the classifieds where they you can sell stuff or I like the board at AllSpark or TFW or, or wherever, because that way you're going to avoid eBay's stupid eBay fees. Mm, yes, PayPal's and, too. And, well, I mean... Well, you'll get those probably to some degree. But uh, and also, like, non-bidders. Back when I first got on eBay I and, and sold, I went a decade without ever having somebody who bit, who bid on something and won it but didn't, like, buy it. Now, every other or every third item that I purchase that I sell on eBay mm-hmm. uh, is 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 a non-seller. Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, that is ridiculous. So that that's a big pain in the butt. But honestly, if uh, you just want to get rid of it easily, um, I'd probably recommend uh, probably the easiest thing is just to throw it on eBay, or again po- post it to Facebook and try to sell it as a lot. Or if you have a collection that is ha- worth half, you know, halfway is wor- halfway worth something. Uh, consider trying to sell it to TF source through BBTS or somebody like that. Uh, as long as it's something that's not like, you know, you're not selling them your, uh, your Unicron trilogy stuff. If you have like, you know, pretty decent, like G1 collection that you just want to get rid of, which I did that. Like most of the stuff I got rid of when I sold off was G1. And like, I literally took it on the uh, BotCon floor, and I was like, here, what would somebody give me for this? And I, I ended up selling like 30 or 40 pieces for like 100 bucks. Hmm, interesting. I just wanted to get rid of the crap. I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the um, the classifieds and the listings like on uh, community sites, like Transformers community sites, that's really interesting. I think that's really good advice. And if you do list it on eBay, you really, really, really should. And you really have no excuse now that they have a, a distribution center domestically you really need to kind of open up that listing to international buyers for all the reasons that we talked about for now, sure I, I always i always uh refuse to sell to international buyers in the past because doing the paperwork and mm-hmm. everything was such a gigantic pain in the butt but guess what usps.com the United United States Postal Service they make it so easy to ship Anywhere they'll come and pick up your uh, your um, items at your house. You just have to have at least one <clears throat> priority um, package, and uh, they you know through the web you just print out the customs form and everything. Super simple, super easy. I have since opened up to international, and it has helped out a lot. And if you're going to sell, you got to strike while the iron's hot, and you got to sell to the world. So, hey Brian, any final thoughts on the uh, on the topic of what's I mean, it worth anyway? I mean, if you are wanting to sell, sell around the time a new movie comes out, I would say, or something that strikes up the interest. 
uh, of collectors, maybe like a, if another really big video game comes out, like War for Cybertron was like this sort of for fans a revelation. Uh, wait for something like that. Or uh, honestly, uh, I, I, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to just donating the stuff to a good cause. I mean, I, I'm certain Toys for Tots would take men, men on Silk Card Beast Wars toys. Absolutely. And uh, you never know. You might you might generate a new Transformers fan yeah. by doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. Hey, real quick, um, what are your thoughts on selling any anywhere around BotCon time? Do you think that's the time to not sell? Oh, man. So that's such – you mean like as people are saving their pennies for BotCon? Yeah, or even after BotCon, all their pennies went into BotCon. Like what are your thoughts on that? So few people go to BotCon mm. in the grand scheme of mm-hmm. things. I don't think it's really a consideration anymore. I agree with you. I, I think I think the uh, the BotCon community is – it's relatively small. Like you said, it is very loud, so it can be like distorted. Brian. Thank you very much for joining me on the minicast. I think this was an awesome discussion, so I look forward to another one, sir. Awesome. I can't wait. And I want to tell everybody who's listening before you go that this show, like every show on the RFC network, is sponsored by you. That is if you go to tfradio.net and click the Amazon link. The Amazon link is on the right side of the homepage. Once you click that link, just do your regular Amazon shopping. You don't have to buy anything extra. You don't have to do anything different. But when you check out, a couple of nickels and dimes go into Brian Kilby's pocket. And he uses those to keep the lights on, keep the podcast flowing for free. Yes. And free is our favorite word. Um, I we, just want to say real quick. I want to say real quick. Please. We real, I really do appreciate it. Last month, if it hadn't been for you guys, I would have had to fire Don. But because of you... I was able to keep Don on. So. Oh my gosh. So yeah. nice. Yes. We really dodged one there, buddy. I know. He's like the star. He's our Brock Lesnar. He is our Brock Lesnar. I couldn't afford him. He would have ended up going to TFYLP full time. Absolutely. But, you know, but now we have him full time. We have him. Maybe not full time. Maybe if you, uh, you know, you, you buy a little more, uh, we can get him full time. Perhaps a 70 uh, a inch TV here and there. That would be yes. ideal. Yes. So like we say, go to tfradio.net. Click the Amazon link on the right side of the homepage, do your shopping, and we get a little kickback, which keeps the podcast going, keeps you listeners happy, keeps us happy, and again, we wouldn't be here without you guys. We love you guys, so thank you for listening, and we hope you continue to enjoy the minicast and all the other podcasts on the RFC network. Until next time, I am John DeLuna. We will see you around. Music provided by bensound.com.